voice of God Almighty. It's the voice of God's love. And I believe that there are voices sounding throughout the world. There are voices. Not always heard, certainly, because there are other voices that are louder. We never can find rest till we find it in God. I want you to hear this voice calling you back. Well, what's up, Lake Poi family? Great to see you guys. Great to be back with you guys. Hey, my name is uh, Mike Bro. in case we've uh, never met before, and I get the privilege of being on the teaching team here at, at Lake Point. And uh, hey, thanks for joining us at one of our campuses this weekend, or maybe you're on your uh, TV or tablet or laptop or, or phone somewhere in the world online. So stoked that we get to do this together. And I just want to say, man, I am, I am so grateful for the way uh, you guys have just kept being in the church. I mean, the church never shut down. Uh, this is to read stuff and hear stuff about like two million meals distributed and tons of people getting ready to get baptized in, in a couple of weeks. I'm just so thankful for the way the Spirit of God moves and how uh, even if we can't meet physically, uh, God just does amazing things uh, uh, through, our, through our lives. So I just want to thank you guys for staying engaged and staying connected and letting God use your lives over the past few months. But it is so good. Uh, to, to be back. Uh, in, in recent weeks, we've been talking about uh, hearing from God, tuning into God's voice, and Josh has unpacked some really life-changing uh, truth over the last several weeks. And if you missed any of them, I would encourage you to catch up online. It's so good. But, but it's been all about keeping that line of communication open like all day long, because walking and talking with God, doing life with Him, is why you and I were created in the first place. And it's been my experience, when, when you really are tuned in to hearing God's voice, there are a few simple words you just might hear. And one of those words that I've been hearing during the past six months is the word, shh, shh. I think God's been telling me, bro, quit, quit talking too much. You, 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 your life is just full of noise. You need to be still and just know that I am God. The pace of your life is moving too fast. The noise in your life is getting too loud. The iCloud storage in your mind is getting way too full. Just be still and know me. Shh. Yeah, but God, shh. Yeah, but God, shh. I've also heard him say many times to me in various ways, just, just come. Just come. Jesus gives us all a great invitation in Matthew chapter 11. I love the way the message puts it. It's the words of Jesus saying to you and me, are you tired? Are, are you like worn out, burned out on religion? Well, just come. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Doesn't that sound good? And maybe, just maybe, that's the only word you need to hear from God this weekend. It's come. Just come. Sometimes we might hear God say, wait. Have you heard that before? Man, I've heard that a bunch of times in my life. I'm getting all stressed out about the future, asking God, come on, God, how much longer? When will this be over? And I hear God say, just wait. I don't want you to grow impatient. I'm moving I'm, I'm faithful. Bro, I want you just to bloom where you're planted right now. I just want you to be a light because you can't see what I'm doing in the dark, but I am working behind the scenes on your behalf. And plus, I'm working in you. Right now, I've got you on the potter's wheel. I'm just molding and shaping and forming and chiseling your character, trying to make you more like Jesus. So just wait. 
Sometimes it's shh, sometimes it's come, sometimes it's wait. And then sometimes you hear God say, go, go, I want you to go. And gang, when that happens, it often requires you and I to just take, take a, a deep breath and step out in faith into the unknown to actually go do what he's telling us to do, to go where he's asking us to go. Now, I'm just guessing over the past few months, especially during the initial, you know, safer at home orders, uh, you might have binge watched a few shows. Anybody? Anybody binge watched some, some shows? My daughter, uh, Jody, her family, they, they went back and watched all these old Survivor, the old reality show Survivor. They watched like, I don't know how many seasons of Survivor. I got another buddy went back and watched all the seasons of the show 24 with Jack Bauer. He got into binge watching that. Well, today I want to show you uh, a, a story of a simple, ordinary guy who heard those words go from God, and the story to me sounds almost like a binge-worthy mini-series, and since we only got a few minutes together this weekend, we're just going to binge-watch the entire season together, okay? I mean, there are six episodes. You guys up for something like that? So six episodes, we're going to do it like in warp speed, no commercial breaks. Here we go. It's the story of a guy named Gideon, and you can find all the scripts, by the way, to these remarkable episodes in the Old Testament book called Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7. And let's just get started with season one. Episode one, the pilot. Uh, last week, Josh talked talk to us about how it took the Israelites 40 years to do an 11-day trip into the promised land. And once they get there, there is this reoccurring theme that goes all the way through this book of Judges. And it starts with the first one. Look what it says. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. I mean, when you read the book of Judges, you'll just see over and over it says, once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Once again, everybody did whatever was right in their own eyes. And as they pridefully rebelled against God, things would get awful in their life. Then eventually, they would repent and they would cry out to God and God would rescue them. And then it wouldn't be too long. And once again, they would totally act like he didn't even exist. You've been there? They even had multiple affairs, cheating on God with other like so-called little G gods. So even though as a father, it would absolutely break God's heart, he would say, okay, if that's what you choose. And he would let them go into their self-destructive tailspin and allow them by their own free will to make these horrible choices, which in turn would bring horrible consequences into their nation and into their lives. You see, a loving God created you and me with the gift of free will because love without a choice really isn't love, right? And when you and I exercise that free will, it matters. And however we exercise it, it brings consequences into our lives, good or bad. So as a result of their own free will rebellion, their own bad choices, for seven long years, the nation of Israel was under the domination by the Midianites. And their invasion was so massive and so overpowering that God's people literally had gone underground. They were living in caves. They were living in canyons. They were living in mountain strongholds just to survive. The Midianites had destroyed all their crops, taken all their livestock, brought them to the brink of starvation. And it finally got so miserable for them. They got so desperate, it says in verse 6, then, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. 
After seven years, they finally thought, oh yeah, what about God? Now listen to me, God should never be reduced to a last resort or a 911 dispatcher or one of those in case of emergency break the glass kind of things. God is not some superhero that comes swooping in when we send up, you know, like the, the bat signal. He longs to be an intimate friend. He longs to be a loving father, a daddy in our life, someone with whom we do life with every day. However, when you and I do reach that point of humble desperation and we finally cry out toward God, even though we might not have thought of him in like seven years, he's been thinking about us every second of every single day. And he hears and he responds and he loves us so much that he sees beyond the disobedience, sees beyond the distance and the disregard. He doesn't bring up all the horrible things that we might have said or thought about him. He doesn't say, are you kidding me? You? You crying out to me? Fat chance of me ever helping you? No. God longs to reconnect. And when you and I genuinely and humbly cry out, he hears and he responds. We may not immediately see what he's doing, but I'm telling you, he goes to work in your life. Well, after the people cry out, God reminds them of his powerfully impressive and faithful track record. He says, you might remember how I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. Remember the whole Red Sea parting and the manna from heaven and the pillar of fire and the water from a rock and crossing the Jordan River on dry ground, all the incredible conquest under Joshua where I drove out your enemies and gave you this land that I promised you. You guys remember all that? And do you remember that I told you not to worship all these little G gods of your enemies, that they would lead you down some very, very dark and destructive roads? But you didn't listen. You ignored me, and that's why the you're in the mess that you're in. Nevertheless, I never stopped loving you. I still love you, and I've heard your cries, and I'm about to move. And that's how episode one ends. Episode two, let's go. The visitor, verse 11 of Judges 6, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. Man, that girl is everywhere, isn't she? <laughs> Sorry. That, that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it secret from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon starts looking around going, Excuse me? Mighty warrior? You talking to me? Oh, you got, you got the wrong guy. Can't you see? I'm just a simple farmer. I'm just a wheat thresher. Mighty warrior? I, I, I believe you must have me confused with somebody else. And you know, we hear all other kinds of voices telling us who we are, don't we? Voices from the culture, voices from our past, voices from the playground when we were kids, voices from those we live around, work around, go to school with, telling us that we're worthless, that we're flawed, that we're stupid, that we're ugly, that we're inadequate. And we believe them. We internalize that stuff. And then when God shows up and tells us who we really are, we say, no, you talking to me? No, you, you must have me confused with somebody else. You got the wrong guy. You got the, you got the wrong girl. Because don't you know that I'm unlovable? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm unstable, man. I'm, I'm an addict. I'm too fat. I'm too slow. I'm, excuse me, did, did you say I'm loved? Did, did you just call me priceless? Did you, 
Did you say that I was worthy? Did, did, did you call me mighty warrior? <laughs> you, you got the wrong guy. You try, try two doors down. But gang, that's the way God sees you. He sees you as someone who is immensely gifted and has potential for greatness inside of you. He sees you as a mighty warrior, sees you as a hero. And yes, I'm talking to you. He does not want you to walk through your life wearing all the labels that everybody else has tried to attach to you. He wants you to move through your lives and your days with this humble confidence in who he says you are. Well, Gideon comes back with a classic question, verse 13. He says, uh, sir, if, if the Lord is like with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? I mean, didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now it seems like the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Now, he's not thinking about how Israel has abandoned God, only feeling like God has abandoned them. And we can get like that too, can't we? Much easier to assign blame and point fingers and shake our fist at God for the mess that we have created. Well, God in his graciousness kind of sweeps aside the question, doesn't get defensive, doesn't lecture him. He just simply says, well, I'm here right now. It says in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, here's that word, go. I want you to go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. Yeah, you, step up, mighty warrior. I have heard their cries, and I'm about to move, and I want to move through you. Go. Here's, here's what I think. You just might be the one God's calling to go. You just might be the one to step up and end the cycle of dysfunction in your family tree. Maybe you'll be the one who heroically ends all the years of alcoholism, the years of abuse, the ugliness of racism, the angry grudges, and all the family feuds. You may be the one that God is calling to change your workplace, your school. You might be the one to deliver compassion to the thousands and millions in this city that need help and hope. God may be saying to you like he said to Gideon, hey, mighty warrior, yes, you, I'm talking to you, go. The Lord is with you. Come on. Step up. Well, Gideon starts to offer excuses, and man, I can certainly relate. He says, but Lord, like how can I rescue Israel? <laughs> my, my clan is like the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. God, look at me. I am the weakest of the weak. I can't even like bench press 75 pounds. I know a guy over there that works out like every day. He's got some military training. He's like a ninja. In fact, there are so many much more stronger, much smarter, much faster and better, more skilled, more qualified than me. Why me? Are you, are you serious? And God says, yeah, I'm serious because I'm going to be with you. I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And so Gideon says, uh, okay, but I'm going to need a sign. You ever do that? He says, I'll be right back. And he rushes away and he prepares this offering to the Lord and gives it to this angel under the tree. And the angel touches it and fire flames up and consumes it and, and then the angel disappears. And Gideon's jaw drops, and he's freaking out. He says, I am doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. I'm going to die. And that's how episode two ends. Episode three, we'll call it Demo Day. 
You ever watch these home improvement shows where they get so fired up about demo day? And, and, I, and I love doing that stuff. I love doing construction stuff and carpentry stuff and remodeling houses and stuff. I've been doing that for a long time. And there really is something therapeutic about taking a sledgehammer and just busting up a bunch of stuff. There really is. And episode three begins by God coming to Gideon at night and says, hey, Gideon, guess what? It's demo day. And he tells him, listen, before I can really work through you, all these other little G-gods, they got to go. So first of all, I want you to tear down your father's altar to that false god Baal. And then the other phony, that Asherah pole that stands beside it, got to get rid of all that stuff. The worship of all these other gods have gotten your people in this mess. And if the great I am is going to move in, all these wannabe gods, they got to move out. So I want you to build an altar for me and sacrifice a bull on it. And that phony Asherah pole, you can use it for the firewood. You know, one of my binge uh, watch shows during the shutdown, because I'm a basketball junkie, was The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. Uh, Michael Jordan was probably, uh, arguably the greatest basketball player ever, but arguably the greatest trash talker ever. And I've played a lot of basketball in my life, been a lot of games where a lot of good natured trash talk's been going on, like you can't guard me or get that stuff out of here. So I love this scripture when I found it in Isaiah, because this is God himself kind of trash talking all the little G gods that exist. Look, check this out, it's so fun. I am the first and the last, there is no other God. Like who can guard me? Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. I mean, who but a fool would make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit? The person who made the idol never stops to reflect, why, it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? Should I bow down and worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all, yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol I'm holding in my hand just a lie? He trusts something that cannot help him at all. Sound familiar? Now, of course, you and I are much more intelligent to never carve and worship a, a carved statue, right? But man, sometimes we bow before the altar of looks and image, don't we? We can worship at the shrine of materialism and religion and politics and success and status, and we can give our energy and our devotion to shallow self-seeking relationships and self-gratification, never stopping to think, isn't this idol just a piece of green paper? Isn't this God just a piece of reflective glass? Isn't this God just a handheld device with a screen? Isn't this deity just a, a piece of uh, studs and brick and, and, and shingles? Am I bowing before something that's just a lie? Because the truth is, this God can't rescue me. This God can't save me. This God can't love me, create me, recreate me. This God can't sweep away my failures. This God can't give me a bigger purpose or transform me or give me eternal life. Oh, it promises me that and more, but it's just a huge lie. And gang, if you and I chase all the stuff of this life, making them in the little G gods, we miss out on experiencing and knowing the true and living God who wants to satisfy our soul in the deepest place. It was pretty cool when I was working through this part of the passage in Judges 6, my phone rang. And a buddy of mine, who at that time was 11 days sober, called me and uh, he got so much stuff in his life. He wouldn't mind me telling you any of this because it's his story. He's a great guy, humble, huge, generous heart. God's really transforming him. 
But he had been really, really deep into drugs and alcohol, material stuff and pornography and jail time. I mean, you name it, he's, he's been there. But he knows that God has been pursuing him all of his life. And he knows that God loves him. And he really does want to walk with God every day. He wants to be, wants to be free. Well, as I'm working through this passage, he calls me up and starts telling me, hey, man, I just want to let you know I found a bunch of old stuff that I, don't need, that I shouldn't have in my life anymore. And I just boxed it all up and I threw it in a dumpster. And I said, dude, you're not going to believe this. I was just reading through this passage about this guy named Gideon. This is so cool. You see how you were finally like tearing down all these false gods? It's so cool the way you were cleaning house. And you've been giving the true and living God a chance to move in your life. And man, he is moving in your life. And like my friend is learning, like Gideon learned, like I've been learning as well. If we pursue any other image than the image of God, we end up empty and frustrated, and we rob God an opportunity to set us free. We have this merciful, loving God who wants to rescue us, and he actually can. So Gideon takes a deep breath, and he says, okay, it's demo day. And because he was afraid of his family and the people in the town, he goes and does this in the middle of the night. And when the people wake up the next morning and discover that somebody had taken a sledgehammer to the altar of Baal and built this new altar and that their other god is nothing but glowing embers, they go off. And they say to each other, who did this? Who did this? And after asking around, making a careful investigation, they learn it was Gideon, the son of Joash. So they show up at Joash's house and they say, hey, bring out your boy. Bring out your boy. We know what he did. He's going to die for destroying our gods. But this is really cool. Joash, Gideon's dad, is obviously deeply moved by the courage and conviction of his son. He stands up and says, well, if Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself. If he's so powerful, let him deal with the one who tore down his altar. And it says that from then on, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, which means let Baal defend himself. Okay, episode four. You got another one in you? You good? Okay, episode four. Let's go to episode four. Fleeced. It's a short episode. God's spirit begins to move inside of Gideon and makes him respected as a leader among all the people. He kind of becomes like a general among the so-called troops. Uh, but still, there was some doubt in his own mind. He says, okay, God, I hear you. I hear you saying to me, go. And I'm, I'm willing to go. But if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised. Once again, I'm going to need a sign. Prove it to me in this way. I was thinking I'd put like a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground around it is dry, then I will take that as a sign. Then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And so he does it, and that's what happens. Puts out the fleece. Next morning, the ground around is dry, and the fleece is sopping wet. And Gideon says, two out of three. I bet you can't do that. You ever do that? I bet you can't do that again, God. And he says, this time, let's reverse it. Uh, ground wet, fleece dry. And that's exactly what happens. Now, I'm not much for uh, looking for signs, uh, although I have to admit I have thrown out a fleece or two in my life. I think you ought to pray for and seek wisdom and bounce stuff off of uh, close and trusted friends who have discernment, but eventually, you know what? You got to stop looking for signs and just go. When you know God is calling you to go, you got to step out in faith and just go. Remember, faith is walking to the edge of all the knowledge you have and taking one more step 
the times in my life where I sensed God was asking me to leave what was nailed down and predictable and comfortable and step out into the unknown, those were the times in my life that I felt fully alive. Okay, episode five, Braveheart. Uh, it opens by Gideon, episode five. This, he, he gets this ragtag remnant of an army together. I mean, we're talking skinny, hungry, cave-dwelling guys with inferior strength, inferior training, inferior weapons, not a chance of defeating the mighty Midianites. It made me think of that scene from that, you know, that movie Braveheart about, about the Scotland's freedom where on one side you've got these sophisticated military powers with skilled archers and catapults and thousands of horses and matching uniforms. And on the other side you've got these farmers with pitchforks and axes and shovels and their face painted blue and they're wearing wool plowed skirts. Now, I, I bet Gideon looked around and thought, this is my dream team? Oh man, we are going to get so crushed. But God takes a look at Gideon's mighty fighting men and says, yeah, you, you, you got too many. You got too many warriors with you. And Gideon goes, what? Are you kidding me? Too, too many? Look at them, God. We're going to get creamed as it is. Too many? And God comes back with, no, I'm, I'm not kidding. Because here's the deal. I already told you that you're going to have a victory. Uh, even though the odds are stacked against you, you're going to win. Your guys will win. And when they win, they will be tempted to start boasting about how they pulled the greatest upset of the century. You know what? They're going to be like signing autographs. They're going to be tweeting stuff out. They're going to be posting pictures to Instagram. They're going on talk show circuit trying to get endorsement deals. They'll be telling their grandkids, oh, you should have seen us. We were awesome. No one thought we could do it. We were completely outnumbered. But through our own strength, skill, and craftiness, we sent those armies running. So Gideon, I just want to remove that temptation. Because I need to show all of Israel that they cannot do this on their own, that they need me. So I want you to give your guys permission to leave if they want to. Tell the 33,000 you have that if you're not up for this, it's okay. You can opt out if you'd like to. You can leave right now. No questions asked. We're not going to think less of you. So Gideon does that. He gives them permission to leave. And guess what? 22,000 go home. Say, we're not up for this. Now the odds are really stacked against them, about only 11,000 to go up against the hundreds of thousands of the greatest military power of the region. And Gideon's thinking, what are you doing to me, God? And God says, yeah, you still got too many. Okay, mighty warrior, here's what we're going to do. I want you to bring your guys down to the water, and I want you to tell them to get a drink. And I want you to watch how they do it. The men who fall on their faces and they start lapping water like a thirsty dog, you don't want those guys. But the ones who kneel down and cup water with their hands so they can drink and keep watch at the same time, those are the guys you're taking to battle with you. So Gideon does it, and guess what? Over 10,000 lap water like a dog. And now the number is reduced to 300. And the Lord told Gideon, now we're getting somewhere. With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collects all their stuff and sends them home and prepares to go to battle with the remaining 300 men. And now, the exciting final episode. The Midian camp, Midianite camp, was in the valley just below Gideon, and God tells him 
I have told you repeatedly that I've already given you victory over them. But I'm thinking you probably need some assurance. So I want you to sneak down there. And I want you to listen to what some of them are talking about. So Gideon grabs another guy, and they go down to the edge of the valley, and they come over the crest of the hill, and they see so many people. I mean, soldiers from other evil alliances, such as the Amalekites, had now joined this army. Scripture says they look like a swarm of locusts, way too many to even count. And remember, Gideon's got 300 ill-equipped guys, and he's got to be getting sick to his stomach as he takes in this scene going, man, this is so much worse than I ever dreamed. But check this out. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, well, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. And he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up. Get up, for the Lord has given us victory over the Midianite horse. Come on, guys. It is on. So he divides his 300 mighty men into three groups of 100, and he gives each man a ram's horn and a clay jar and a torch in it. And he tells them, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to surround their camp. And, and just keep your eyes on me and really, really listen and just do what I, what I do. Because when we get to the edge of the camp, we're going to create some chaos. As soon as the guys with me blow their ram's horns, you guys blow your horns too and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And let's just read the rest from the script in Judges chapter 7. And man, I wish I could read this like Morgan Freeman, but I can't. <laughs> it was just after midnight. After the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held blazing torches in their left hands and their horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords, and those who were not killed fled to places far away. Against all odds, 300 men armed with horns, pots, and torches take out the greatest army on the planet, only God. Only God. But you need to know this. That, that really wasn't the finale. There's one more episode. Sorry. <laughs> it's the one where you join the cast of characters. I mean, what's, what's reality for you right now? How are the odds seemingly stacked against you these days? I don't know, maybe... Relationally, it's a big-time challenge for you right now. You're wondering how your marriage is going to survive. Or maybe through all this, you lost your job and financial pressure just keeps mounting. Or maybe you got a prodigal kid and you don't, you don't know how to help them. Or maybe you're in the grip of an addiction. It feels like you're like in the spin cycle of a washing machine. Or maybe you got some big-time health issues, some mental health issues going on right now. I don't know what you're facing. But gang, I've been praying that this story would just flood your soul with hope in the living God. 
Because if your strength seems really, really small to you right now, and the odds seem stacked against you right now, I'm just telling you from personal experience, we have a God of horns, pots, and torches. He is the one who makes walls fall down. He is the one who makes armies run, the red seas part, and the sun to stand still. He turns water into wine. He walks on water. He makes blinded eyes see. He raises people from the dead, and that same God is for you. And if you will lean into God's power, I'm telling you, He will carry you through. Now, your circumstances may not radically change, but against all odds, you will. And that's the greater miracle. And I don't know, maybe he's just been waiting for you to cry out. Maybe he's been waiting for you just to acknowledge that you're the weakest of your clan and just humbly ask for supernatural help. I mean, maybe you need to hear him say today, I never stopped loving you. I'm ready and I'm able to rescue you. Perhaps he's been waiting for you to agree with him when he's been saying to you, come on, it's demo day. You need to tear down all these things that you're giving your devotion to. These things have become little G-gods in your life. Just begin to follow and worship me. I don't know, maybe he's calling you to go. Maybe you've sensed that voice inside of you saying, come on, take a risk, man. Get out there on a limb. Walk by faith. And I'm just telling you, when you answer yes to his go, He will not only help you start walking freer than you've ever been in your life, he will use you, yes, you, to accomplish amazing things, write you into a better story, one that will make people stand back and go, wow, only God. I just want to invite you to bow your heads for a moment. You know, I I don't know where you're at right now on on this journey or even where you're where you're tuning in from today, but I can just imagine some of you are facing some big time decisions right now. You're at a major crossroad. Maybe you sense God is calling you to do something new, something fresh, something that's just out there on a limb and you're scared to death. Because right now you're extremely comfortable and something inside you telling you, go, come on, move to the edge. Take one more step, step out in faith. Say yes to my go. And if you will, I'm telling you, he'll be with you. He'll fight your battles for you. Father, thank you for never stopping to love us. Thanks for pursuing us. Thanks for reminding us just who we are in your eyes, that we are priceless, gifted people with great potential. God, today we want to listen better to whatever you say to us. And God, today, if you're saying to us, like you said to Gideon, go, we're ready to go. We're ready to walk by faith. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus who did exactly that. Amen.